We're going to read from the Bible together just now. To read from Matthew chapter 6. To read from verse 5 down to verse 15. Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. Commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. It's on page 970 in the Bibles in the pew. We begin to read at verse 5, and as we read, we remember this is the Word of God, so we can trust it completely. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. We're going to stand and sing together again, God of grace, amazing wonder. Um, there's, there's a loose wire somewhere uh, uh, somewhere around the floor here and it uh, causes me endless troubles when I come here uh, but I, th- I, think, I think we have it uh, well working from the back anyway and I'm hoping this little clicker will make its way uh, up there and back down again but good evening everyone it's lovely to see you thank you so much indeed uh, for the warm welcome thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to come back again to the church here Uh, I think this is the third time, third year uh, that I've been here. The first time I was here was two years ago, and I spoke to you about Laos, about a little country, Southeast Asia, and the need for Bibles, and taking those Bibles up the river and putting them in the hands of Christians who are waiting a long time for them. Um, Last year, I took you high up into the Himalayas to the little kingdom of Bhutan and shared with you something of the need of the gospel among wee boys locked away and people who live and die without ever hearing who Jesus is. And this evening, you're not going high up into the mountains. Uh, You're going as low down as you can possibly get on earth. And I want to take you in a few moments to a well-known country in one sense, but maybe with regards to gospel work, and maybe not so well known. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Gordon Stewart, and I uh, am the director of Asia Link. I work here in Ireland. Our head office is in England, and our regional office is in Ballyclare. Um, I've been working with Asia Link for the last 16 years. Before that, I was the pastor of a church uh, in East Belfast, and then pastor of a church in in near Ballyclare. And for the last 16 years, working with Asia Link. AsiaLink is a missionary organization, a, a church planting, evangelistic organization that's trying to take the gospel to people who have never heard it before. We're trying to find unreached people groups. So that's whole tracts of land, whole cultures, whole islands, whole communities, whole language groups that have no Presbyterians in them, no Baptists, no Anglicans, no Pentecostals, sometimes on some occasions, they have nobody. 
Not an evangelist, not a Sunday school worker, no holiday Bible clubs, no children's workers, no Christians, no portions of the Bible. They have nobody, those whole cultures. And we're trying to send workers, evangelists in, see churches planted, people come to faith, and then evangelism takes place, taking place from those local churches. As I said, I'm based in Ballyclare. Let's see if this is going to work. Yes, it is. There he is. This is Stephen Houston. Stephen is our youth worker, works with us. Um, I don't know if I said last time I was here. I'm not 100% sure. But Stephen um, has, has just back a number of months ago from a very interesting trip to, to North Korea, traveled inside North Korea. And I don't know if you, you noticed on your news last year, uh, but it was the 60th anniversary of the People's Democratic Republic of Korea. And uh, Stephen happened to be inside North Korea at the time, and they were holding a big celebration in the center of Pyongyang, and Kim Jong-un was going to be there, and all the military and the tanks and the nuclear weapons, and Stephen got a little invite to come along to it. Are we Stephen from Ballyclare? And he is traveling around. If you'd like to hear about North Korea in your ladies' group or your young people's group, Stephen would certainly be delighted uh, to be able to tell you a little bit about it. Over 7 billion people in our world, and around about half of them still don't know who Jesus is. Many more who know who Jesus is, but have chosen to reject him, to ignore him. But 3 billion people in our world are what we call the unreached of our world. Three quarters of them live in the continent of Asia. There's nowhere quite like Asia. There's nowhere like Asia with regards to numbers of people, numbers of unreached, and numbers of unbelievers. And these are the countries that we work in from Iraq over in the west, right through there to North Korea in the east, and from Mongolia in the north, right down to the Maldive Islands in the south. And as I said, we're involved in projects and supporting national workers and church planting and Bible production in any way we can to try and push the gospel to those that have never heard. And before I take you to the, one of those countries that you can see on the screen, if you have your Bible with you, I want to turn to the passage that Peter read for us. It's, it's one of those verses, one of those passages that you hardly even need to look up. It's so well known. In fact, probably those verses that Peter read from verses uh, Matthew 6, from 9 to 13, may well be the best known verses in all of the Bible. At least the best four or five verses all strung together in all of the Bible. And some of you maybe can look back to the very first time that you heard these words. Maybe you were at school, at primary school. I can remember going to primary school, and every day in primary school we had assembly. An assembly consisted of reciting the Lord's Prayer and singing all things bright and beautiful. And we did that almost every day that I can remember in primary school. Maybe you remember the Lord's Prayer from primary school. Or maybe you come from a church tradition that as part of the service, they repeat, they recite the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus says, this is how you should pray, there are those who take that literally and do it in the middle of a service. And that may be where you come from in your tradition. Whatever way, I think all of us here will know these verses so well. But they are verses that I think we, we might not know as well as we think. And just for a few moments this evening, I want to drop a little thought into you. I want you to notice after Jesus instructs us as to who we're to pray to, he tells us the very first thing that we're to pray for. Of all the things that Jesus could have told his people as a pattern that we're to pray for, the one recorded is the, the one there in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 7. And this is it. Our Father in heaven, that's who we're to pray for, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And I don't know whether you've ever thought about that. Maybe like me, you, you just know the Lord's Prayer so, so well, it rolls off your tongue that you maybe have hardly even thought about what those words mean. Hallowed be your name. What is this that Jesus is telling us that we should pray for? Well, the word hallowed isn't a word we use very much today. I'm not sure in this last week if you've used the word hallowed or the last month 
or the last year, or maybe during your whole life. We have Halloween, but that's a twisted perversion of this. This nothing to do with this. The word hallowed means set apart, holy, devoted to God, specially devoted to the service of God. And, and that's, that's what this word is, and that's what Jesus is telling us. In other words, if we could put it into modern words, it would go something like this. When you pray, pray to your Father and pray like this. God, may your name be respected. May your name be set apart as special, honored, holy, and devoted to you. May, Lord, your name be feared, your word be loved, your commands be obeyed. May you be glorified and your name glorified in all the world. May your name be hallowed. Now, if that's what it means, Lord, may your name be glorified and set apart and special, and may you be treated with respect in the world, then the question is, when we pray this prayer, who are we to pray it for? If this is the pattern for prayer, our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed and respected, who are we to pray this prayer for? Well, surely everyone who would pray this prayer needs to start with themselves. This is a prayer for me. This is a prayer that you are to pray for yourself. Lord, may your name be hallowed in my life. May I love you, respect you, honor you, follow you, set you apart in my life more and more each day. May those areas in my life where I'm not honoring you, Lord, may I honor you this week. May those areas in my life where I'm not following you, where I'm disobeying you, Lord, may I this day honor you, follow you, respect you, and glorify you. Lord, may your name be hallowed in me. That's the first thing. But secondly, surely this isn't just a selfish prayer that Christians are to pray for themselves. Surely this is a prayer for the world. This is a prayer for the world, and this is a prayer particularly for the unreached, the three billion people in our world who don't know about the name of Jesus. Lord, may those who don't even know your name, Lord, will you today turn them, be gracious to them, and may they hear about you and follow your name. May those who are not glorifying you, loving you, respecting you, devoting their lives to you, following your word, Lord, in your grace, in your power, in your sovereignty, in your great mercy, Lord, have pity. And may those who are not hallowing your name, may they come to hallow it. In other words, this is a missionary prayer. A missionary prayer. Lord, may those who don't know you, may they come to know you. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing that Jesus asks us to pray for in the pattern for prayer is not for our daily bread, not for ourselves, not for temporal things, but that he would bring those who don't know him to love and honor and respect his name. And if this is the very first thing that we're to pray for that Jesus gives us in the pattern for prayer, it shows us how important mission work and the glory of God and the nation's Hearing and coming to know God is to Jesus himself. So I wonder that this evening is mission right at the very heart of your prayer life. You wake up in the morning, you rub your eyes, you drink your coffee, you open your Bible. I wonder is the glory of God in the nations, of people coming who don't know him, coming to know him today. I wonder is that something that grips you and drives you and leads your prayer life from day to day. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed in all the earth. I'm going to take you across the world now to a little 
country that maybe isn't so well known in some ways. And I suppose that prayer is something I want you to keep in your heart and in your mind as you look at the photographs and you listen to the story this evening of this wee country. It would be a terrible thing if you left here this evening and said, do you know, I, I learned a whole lot about geography this evening. I heard a whole lot about politics. I, heard, I saw a whole lot of lovely photographs, very few of which are mine. But the wee man, we, because see the wee man, the friend of mine who traveled with me. What I, what, I, what I do long for is that you'll look at this this evening and the prayer just ringing in your heart is, Lord, may, may the people of this wee country that I've spent the last 30 minutes with, who don't know you, don't love you, and aren't hearing about you, Lord, will you have mercy and turn them to follow and look after you. I don't know when the last time you heard a missionary report on the Maldive Islands. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that maybe very, very, very few of you have ever heard a missionary report on the Maldives. Maybe somebody was here last week and spoke on them, but I doubt it. I doubt it because there's so few people that are working on the Maldive Islands bringing the gospel that I can make a bold statement like that. I would imagine that very few of you have heard a missionary report on the Maldive Islands before. The Maldives are, are a very interesting place. Um, I, I don't know if you think about the Maldives, is, if this is the kind of picture you have in your head. Um, it's one of the top honeymoon destinations of the world, so I don't know if any of the young people here are thinking of getting married or anybody at the back who's maybe... Uh, thinking of an anniversary coming up and you have a bit of money to spend and you went into a travel agent in Lurgan or Portadown and you said, take me to paradise and bring me back again. And money is no object. They'll probably open a page in a magazine like this and say, this, this is where you want to go. This is paradise on earth. And for a few thousand pounds, you can part with your money and your travel agent will whisk you off to a desert island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and you can spend a week on a place like this. Have a little look. There's your bedroom over here, and you can go to sleep with the sound of the Indian Ocean lapping under your bed. And then you can wake up in the morning with the sun guaranteed to beam through your bedroom window and struggle the distance out to your breakfast table. There it is. And you'll be fed all the beautiful food that you can imagine in the world. And after you've exhausted yourself eating your breakfast, you maybe need a wee lie down. So there's a wee private bed. There it is, just there. And then maybe you want to swim. You have your own private swimming pool. You're right in the middle of the sea. And then in the evening, climb down the steps into the blue, crystal clear sea of the Indian Ocean. This is paradise on earth. Now, I want you to um, shelve that thought for a wee moment because that is not what the Maldives Islands is like. That's what the Maldives Islands is like for a foreigner who goes there for a week. But it's not how Maldivian people are living. It's not how Maldivian people are eating their breakfast. It's not how Maldivian people spend their day. That's how foreign people perceive the Maldives Islands. Forget about that for a wee minute. And let me, for the remainder of my time, give you a little bit of an idea what the Maldives Islands is really like. First of all, we better figure out where in the world it is. So here's a map of uh, the subcontinent. So you can see India. Uh, you see Sri Lanka at the bottom here. And then just off the coast of Sri Lanka, there it is. A little group of islands just off the coast in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Now, the word Maldives means garland of islands or string of islands. And I suppose, looking from space, that's what the Maldives look like. They look like a string of pearls. They kind of go this shape all the way down to the bottom. And that's why sometimes they're called garland or string of islands. Come on. There we go. The Maldives is made up of 26 natural atolls. 
Now, I don't know if there are any geography teachers in the church this evening, and they might be able to explain a little bit better at the end of the meeting what a natural atoll is. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what a natural atoll is, but it's some kind of volcanic formation that our great God made in an instant. I think it's a kind of a volcanic mountain, a series of volcanic mountains that have subsided and fallen into the sea. And that's roughly, very poorly described what, a, what an atoll is. So it's made up of 26 atolls. You can see just two. There's one atoll, and then there's the second atoll just beside it. And there are 26 of these atolls that dot their way right down over hundreds of miles that make up the Maldives. 26 natural atolls. And inside the atoll, you can see there are lots of little dots. And these dots are the islands. So you can see in that one atoll, there's about... 70 islands inside the atoll. And this one, around about 70 islands. And there are 26 of these. And if you add those 26 atolls and all the islands up inside, you have 1,190 islands that make up the Maldives. There used to be 1,192, but very recently, two of them were attacked, stolen from the Maldivian people by the great enemy of the Maldives. The great enemy of the Maldives being... The sea. Now, you're maybe not too concerned here in Lurgan about rising sea levels. You're maybe not too worried about global warming. If the sea down there, wherever it is, rose by a meter or two, your house will still be standing. The water's not going to reach you from there. But the people in the Maldives, their great enemy, their great struggle is against the sea. They're a group of islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And they are concerned about rising sea levels and melting ice caps and global warming. And you would be too, because the Maldives, if I told you that the highest mountain in the Maldives is eight feet, and that most Maldivian people are living this much, above the sea, then it will make a difference. And we have a responsibility to look after God's creation and make sure that we treat things well that God has placed into our care. And the Maldivian people struggled because of rising sea levels. And uh, many Maldivian scientists believe that in 50 years' time, unless the world does something, all of the Maldivian islands will be undersea. So 1,190 islands that make up the Maldives. Many of them look like this um, for, for tourists. They have been bought over by big hotel chains and rich people and Arabs and people from all around the world. And they bought these islands and turned them into either luxury homes for themselves or hotels where foreign people can come and stay. But many of the islands are just ordinary islands where Maldivian people live. And it's those ordinary islands that I want to spend a wee bit of time thinking about. These small islands are really only accessible by boat. Here you can see one, or you can travel there by plane. And uh, some of the islands will have a small runway, a little tiny sandy runway where the plane can land. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been on a small plane like this before. Um, I've been on a few of them in my life, and this is the one that I'm about to jump on. Before you jump onto it, of course, you've got to take your luggage up to the check-in desk, and you put your luggage onto the scales in the check-in desk. If you're in Belfast City Airport, you'll know what that's like. This is the only place I've ever been to that not only had you to put your luggage on the check-in, on the scales, but you had to get on the scales yourself. So this is me being told to get up onto the scales. They're not just weighing my bag, but they're also weighing me. Thankfully, you can't see what the weight is there. But the reason for that is because these tiny little planes have to land on a small, sandy runway on a tiny island. So weight and velocity and all those things uh, matter a great deal. So they weigh very carefully the people and, uh, and their luggage before the planes will land. And then we take off, and this is us flying over the Maldive Islands. You can see down below, these are where the local people are living. Sometimes the islands are large, and there could be hundreds of people on them. Sometimes the islands are no bigger than your church property, and maybe one family are living on them. But hundreds and hundreds of islands. And when you land on these small islands, when you get out to the beach, to the sand, of course, they're, they're beautiful, stunning places. Who, who wouldn't want to look out at a view like that? Beautiful, clear scenes, blue sky, and 
tropical weather. It looks like a beautiful place, these little islands, but they're, they're far from it. These small islands where the local people are living have, have no, no development. The government has not invested any money in them whatsoever. There are no roads, just sandy little patches that make up the infrastructure. There's barely electricity and, and virtually nothing else. There you can see the sandy roads, no tarmac, no drainage. Um, just keep flicking away. Yep, that's great. And uh, there, there's no, nothing really on these islands. There's no leisure centers. There's no, there's no cinemas. There's nothing for people to do. After they've caught their fish in the morning, they go back to their little houses, and sometimes the rain will pour, and you see the roads are flooded because of the poor infrastructure on these islands. Most of the people will live in these little concrete rectangular buildings. There's little or almost nothing else you can say about them. This is the shopping center, and there's almost nothing on these islands. Now, there's one island that's a little bit different to that, and that's the main island. This is Mali, the capital city of the Maldive Islands. And when you look at Mali, it, it, I suppose it reminds you a little bit of Manhattan in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's one of the most densely populated capital cities in the world. Two square miles, cram-packed, like sardines in a tin, full of people. And Mali is a place that you want to spend a little bit of time in because about a third of all Maldivian people live on this island. There isn't much space. You can see it's full. It's like a concrete jungle. And as the little song goes, you can't build to the north because you're on an island. You can't build to the south. You can't build to the east or the west. The only way is up. And so these high-rise buildings are built and they are full of people. If you happen to be a granny or a granda, and you have a little property in Mali that you've had for since you were born, and I can guarantee you, you will not be spending your retirement with just the two of you in it. Your nephews and nieces and all kinds of family members will be packed into your little apartment because all the best jobs, all the best hospitals, all the best universities are in Mali. And children and young people from all over the country, all those tiny little islands, flock to Mali to stay with their great auntie in a high-rise apartment like this. It's cram-packed full of people. Now, I want to tell you about a few things that you'll notice about Mali, the main island in the Maldives. This is the first thing. It's full of narrow, pokey little streets. Not, not a beautiful island paradise like you might see in the travel brochures. Mali is just cram-packed, and space is a premium. So it has narrow, tiny little streets. These, these streets are sometimes only just a matter of inches apart. It wouldn't be unusual for you to have a building here and one built within just an inch or two right beside it. In fact, where we stayed, which was just up the street from, the, from where this photograph is taken, I was able to open the door of my little guest house, reach out the window across the street, and shake the hand with the neighbor across the street. The reason for that is because space is everything. They're on an island. They can't build anywhere. And so buildings are pushed tightly together, which creates these dark, pokey little alleyways uh, where the people are. And you can see there's nothing beautiful, nothing tropical, nothing that would cause you to come to a place like this. This is Mali. It's pokey, dark, narrow, dirty little streets. Now, here's something else that I want to share with you about Mali, hopefully. Uh, if you think about the Maldive Islands, maybe you think it's a tropical paradise, so the government must do all their business on the beach in a few moments. This beautiful, peaceful, tropical place, well, far from it. The Maldives is in political turmoil. The president of the Maldives is a deeply unpopular man. He has sold off a number of these islands, and nobody knows who he sold them to, and no one knows where the money has gone to. So they're very unhappy with the president. And so when we arrive in the Maldives, the opposition leader to the president is speaking out against the president. Where's the money gone? You're corrupt. And he calls on the people to gather and, and, and get together. So these political rallies are taking place. Now, the president is a little bit unhappy with the opposition leader, so he picks him up, not literally, and he puts him into prison. So the opposition leaders put into prison. And the people, his supporters, they're in uproar. So they're out on the streets. And you can see political protests taking place 
and Mali on the different islands. The high court judges of the land, they all meet and they back the opposition leader and they say, you can't do this. You can't put the opposition leader into prison. So you've got to set him free. So the president puts all the high court judges into prison. And when we arrive in the Maldives, that's what's happening. The people are in uproar. They're out on the streets. Petrol bombs are being thrown. Tear gas is being thrown. The army are brought in. There's a curfew. There's an attempted coup. They try to overthrow the government. And here we are on the islands watching it all right in front of us. This is not a place of paradise politically. This is political unrest. The coup is quelled. The the president holds. Um, Elections take place later in the year. And the president is kicked out. And a new regime is installed. But don't get too excited. Much the same. Narrow streets, political unrest. And then there's a a third thing. If you just uh, move on, that's great. Thank you. A third thing that I want you to notice about the Maldives. And that's this. It is a place full of rubbish. Full of rubbish. Now, don't worry. If you spent five or six thousand pounds on your honeymoon and you're on a tropical island, they'll have paid a wee man to get up early in the morning and clean your beach. Don't worry about it. But actually, for the rest of the Maldives, it is full of rubbish, and particularly plastic balls. I don't know that there's a street in Mali that I haven't walked down, and I have not seen one rubbish bin to put rubbish in, so people throw their rubbish on the ground, on the floor. And then the rubbish ends up on the, in the sea. And then it ends up being washed up on the different islands and onto beaches. So there's one of the beaches just full of rubbish. And the next shot, if you look at it, this is just round the corner from the little guest house that we were staying on that little island. And you can see it's just as far as your eyes can see, full of dirt and rats and rubbish. Not the picture you think of when you think of the island paradise, not on your holiday brochures and Thomas Cook, but full of rubbish. Here's another little thing. Fourth, fourth, I want to show you about the Maldives. If you walked around the Maldive Islands, one of the interesting things that you'll find in Mali itself is it's full of tea rooms. We, we have coffee shops here. seems like you can't go anywhere in Northern Ireland or in the Western world at the minute without a coffee shop. And I don't want to get myself in any political trouble in, in Hill Street this evening, but if you went into your local coffee shop in Lurgan tomorrow morning, about half past ten, who would, generally speaking, be in the coffee shop? Who, who, who would be there? Mainly women. <laughs> Hope I'm okay saying that. But by and large, by and large, mainly women. I want you to have a wee look at the tea rooms in the Maldives. Have a wee look. Flick through the next photograph. Do you see who's in the tea rooms in the Maldives? You see? It's full of men. There are no women in the tea rooms in Mali are no women. That's that's deliberate. If If a woman walked in and ordered a little cappuccino or a Maldivian cup of tea, there would be an audible gasp that she would have the audacity to come and drink tea. The tea rooms in Mali are for men. Only the men have the time to drink the tea. The women are too busy, shorting out life and homes and family and children. But in the tea rooms in Mali, they're full of men, sorting the world out, putting the world aright. Narrow streets, political unrest, rubbish, tea rooms. And then fifthly, the Maldives is full of men with beautiful hair. (laughs) Now, you probably can tell from just looking at me that I I I love beautiful hair myself. The Maldivian men have the most amazing hair. And when you walk around, you'll see, see them. Look, they have spent a long time getting themselves ready. Getting themselves ready to go out. L- looking at themselves, grooming their beards and their hair and, their, and all that. They're just, they spend a lot of time. And as you walk around Mali, those narrow, pokey little streets, you'll find lots and lots of tea rooms. And the second thing you'll notice is lots of hairdressing salons for men, none, none for women. So whenever I was there, I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to go into one of those hairdressing salons when Nolan isn't there and just say, just go mad. <laughs> have you ever wanted to do that on holiday? You obviously have, yes. 
Ever wanted to do that? And I've always wanted to do that. Just go in and just say, just do whatever you want. I'm on holiday. Nobody's going to see me. So this is me sitting in, getting my hair done 30 minutes later. And here we go. That's what they managed to do with my hair. (laughs) So there's five things that you will see in the Maldives. Narrow, pokey streets. Political unrest. Tea rooms. Rubbish. And lots of hairdressing salons for men. Now, here's a couple of things that you won't see in the Maldives. There are no dogs on the Maldive Islands. 1,190 islands. Zero dogs. They are not allowed. They're banned. Now, that might please some of you. And others, it won't. Um, you'll see lots of cats, but you won't see many dogs in the Maldive Islands. That's the first thing. I want you to keep that in your head. Why are there no dogs? Why are there no women in the tea rooms? Here, here's the second thing you'll notice about the Maldives is there's no alcohol in the Maldives. Now, just to get things right, of course, if you're a foreign tourist, the government are hypocritical enough to be able to supply you with lots of alcohol out in the resorts. But on the local islands, and the island of Mali, the capital city, there is no alcohol. It's banned. No one is allowed. No alcohol. And here, here's the third thing that you'll notice in the Maldives. Do you know how many Christian churches there are in the Maldives islands? There's 1,190 islands. Hundreds of thousands of people. Do you know how many Christian churches there are in the Maldive Islands? Not one. Not one church. Do you know how many Christians there are in the Maldive Islands? that we know of as far as we know. We're part of a large network that works there. Do you know how many Christians we believe are in this whole nation of the Maldives? Do you know how many there are? Three. Do you know how many Christian websites there are bringing the gospel to the Maldivian people. I wonder, I wonder how many Christian websites there are in the English language. Think of all the churches, all the Presbyterian churches in Ireland, all the Christian churches in the world, and all the Baptists, all the, all the organizations. Oh, there must be tens of thousands of Christian websites bringing the Christian message in some shape or some form. Do you know how many Maldivian Christian websites there are? Do you know how many there are? One. And that one website is so well known to the government that it's blocked. So people can't access it. As soon as they type it in, S-A-D-A-S-E-T-U-N.com, as soon as they type it in, blocked. They can't get on it. They've got to go through a proxy server and many people won't bother to do something like that. It's just too complicated. No church. Three Christians. One Christian website. Do you know that In every country in the world, in the main language of the country, they have a copy of the Bible. Now, lots of tribal languages that people people don't have, but in the main language of the country of the Maldives, main language of every country in the world, they have a copy of the Bible, except for one. The only country in the world without a copy of the Bible in the main language is the Maldivites. This tropical paradise that all of us know a little bit about is actually a place of great need. And I, I don't know about you as you sit there this evening and you think about all that we have here, all the churches and flavors of churches that we have, and all the Bibles and the versions of the Bibles that we have, and all the websites and all the opportunities that we have to hear the gospel. And for here, maybe to hear for the first time this evening, that there's a wee part of our world where a whole culture of people are living. And there's only three Christians. There's no church, no complete Bible, and no opportunity for the people to hear who Jesus is. I don't know how that makes you feel, but it makes me feel unhappy. 
makes me feel discontent. Lord, this can't be right. This, this, this isn't right. That there are people in our world living who have never heard anything about you. This is the Maldive Islands. Why is that the case? Well, because one of the main reasons why this is the case is because this is an Islamic country. This is a country that's dominated by Islam. One of the most, one of the most, the strictest Muslim countries in the world. When you fly in on a plane, your, your cabin crew will give you a wee piece of paper and on that will be um, a, a list of things that you're not allowed to bring into the Maldives. You can see number three there if you just click. Number three, no materials. No dogs, number seven, or alcohol. But there's number three, no material country to Islam. You're not even allowed to bring your Bible with you on honeymoon. You're not even allowed to bring your Bible with you into the country of the Maldives. And the reason for that is because the Bible's banned. It's not allowed. It's material country to Islam. When you come through the airport into Mali, you'll find little signs, neon signs, saying no material country to Scripture, country to Islam. The Bible's not allowed. They'll take the Bible off you. And wherever you go in the Maldives, you'll find Islam. You'll find mosques. You'll find these, these... these, these buildings all over the country. And you'll see five times a day a great call to prayer rising up all over the islands from the minarets, calling people to come. And you'll watch the men, mainly men and boys, coming in their thousands into the mosque to spend about 30 minutes, five times a day, paying their respects and earning their way towards what they believe is salvation. And um, it's a great challenge, the Maldive Islands, maybe one that we don't hear very much about. And it's, it's been like that for, for many, many years. If you just click the next slide, you'll, you'll, you'll discover a little bit about it. The, the Maldivian people haven't just been without the gospel in this generation. Have a wee look and a listen to this. This is the emperor of India who lived 200 years odd before Jesus was born. And when he came to the Maldive Islands as a, and discovered it all those years ago, he brought Buddhism. He was a Buddhist and brought Buddhism to the Maldivian people. And the Maldivian people became Buddhists from 200 years before Jesus was born right up until the 11th century. 13 centuries of Buddhism. We have no record of Christianity arriving with the Maldivian people for 13 centuries. No record of any missionaries coming in 13 centuries. But don't get too depressed because in 1153, missionaries arrived. Unfortunately, they were Islamic missionaries. And they came and brought the message of Islam. And uh, if you just go back a couple, sorry. Yep, that's it. Just hold her there. 1153, they came with a message of Islam. And all of the government and all of the people in the Maldives converted from Buddhism to Islam. And so for almost 2,200 years, the Maldivian people have been in darkness. There have been a few attempts to bring the gospel to the Maldivian people, but very little. And the result of 2,200 years of of darkness is um, a a country that's in, in, in great need a country full of social problems. If you go down to the promenade in the evening in Mali, you'll find young people like this who have found alcohol, and worse, they find heroin and cocaine, and their lives are being ruined. And if you walk around the Maldives, you'll, you'll discover something else about the Maldives, that the, the country with the highest divorce rate in the world is not America, France, Germany, or Britain, but this little group of islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean has the highest divorce rate in the world. And of course, more important than social problems, more important to that is that these people, these Maldivian people, have never heard the gospel before. There are no churches no evangelists, no speaking publicly about Jesus Christ, no Christian websites. It's illegal for anyone to hear anything about the name of Jesus. And so you find people like this living in darkness their whole lives, living, growing up, and dying, and never hearing the name of Jesus. And I I don't know about you, but that makes me feel uncomfortable. Why should I live in paradise, in wealth, 
saturated in the gospel, while people like this might live their whole lives and no one might ever tell them anything about Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge of places like the Maldive Islands. And I I want to just finish by maybe encouraging you to do something about it. What a terrible thing it would be just to sit and watch and listen and say, that's all very interesting, but but maybe maybe there's something that you could do about it. One of the things that you can do is is to get information. We we produce a little magazine like this from our office in Ballyclare. It won't cost you one penny to get it. Why not take just 30 seconds before you head home, just stop at the wee stand there and give me your name and address and I'll make sure that the magazine comes to you. And never again will you be able to say, I never knew, I never knew you'll read about it in our magazine. Or you can, you can pick up a little leaflet on the Maldives and, and find out a bit more. There's a, there's a bookmark that you can grab as well and you can slot into your Bible. There's a leaflet there called Ways to Help if you'd like to help us or come with us on a team and uh, be involved in taking the gospel to parts of the world like this. But I want to just hopefully encourage you to at least begin to pray for the Maldives. Those things might do that. And I want to ask you to pray maybe for a few things just as we finish. First of all, what better could you pray for than that prayer of Jesus right at the very beginning? Lord, may those who are not hallowing your name when you have mercy and pity upon them and when you bring the gospel to them. Maybe you're sitting here this evening and God might be touching your heart, your life, and he wants you to go and do something about it. Maybe you could go to a place like this and begin to work and live and be salt and light and gently and culturally sensitively share the gospel with people who have never heard it before. God's looking for people like you who'll go and give your time to take the gospel to people like that. And if you can't go, then why not pray? Secondly, why not pray for what better could you pray for that that the Maldivian people would have a copy of the Bible? You'll, you'll maybe sit and read yours tonight before you go to bed. Maybe you'll pick it up and maybe you'll think about the Maldivian people who are still waiting for a copy of the Bible. Will you pray for that? Pray that speedily, quickly, translation will take place. And once the translation is completed in the different books, this is Luke's gospel that we're carrying into the country, maybe, maybe you'd pray for it to be pushed out in written form into books, into audio form, downloadable SD cards, that the website would be accessible to people, that people would be able to go on there and find and download portions of the Bible onto their phones. Will you pray that the Bible will be translated and pushed into the hands of Moldavian people? And secondly, maybe you would pray for us as an organization trying to send workers to the Maldivian people. We're involved in sending Sri Lankan missionaries. We're working with a little Sri Lankan missionary organization. And they're able to bring Sri Lankans onto the Maldives to, to work in hotels and coffee shops and restaurants and in the tourist business. But they're Christians there and they're sharing the gospel with Maldivian people. And slowly introducing them to the Lord Jesus. It's part of our Beautiful Feet project. Trying to bring the good news to people who have never heard. Maybe, maybe for you this evening, the idea of the Maldives is that tropical paradise. Sun-soaked. Dropped into the middle of the Indian Ocean. Somewhere you'd love to go to or somewhere you've been to yourselves. I hope this evening opens your eyes to the enormous, heartbreaking challenging need of a group of islands where people are still waiting to hear the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, may we not be content. May, Lord, you move us and challenge us and speak to us and, and cause us, Lord, to be uneasy that there would be places like this in our world. May that upset us, Lord, and cause us to be people of prayer, people who will question what we're doing, 
what we're giving to, what we're involved in. And Lord, set us on a course this evening with the Lord's Prayer ringing in our hearts each day. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed in all the earth. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon, we want to thank you so much for sharing with us this evening. I hope you've found that helpful. Um, I'm not sure if enjoy is the right word, but certainly it's been really stimulating to think about what's going on in that particular part of the world. We do want to take um, just a few moments now to, to pray again, to pray for Gordon and his work and ministry, to pray for um, the people of the Maldives, but to pray for our own holiday Bible club. So let's just take a, a few minutes to do that now before we we sing our closing hymn together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're the God who hears our prayers. We thank you that you know all about the Maldives. You know every single person there. You know every single detail about those 1,190 islands. You know about those three Christians and their lives and experience. Lord, we want to take a few moments to pray, especially for them this evening. Their experience of Sunday will have been very, very different to ours. And Lord, we ask that by your grace, you will sustain them, that you'll encourage them, that you'll bless them, and that by your grace, you might even use them for your glory. We want to pray especially for Bible translation in that part of the world. We ask that it will happen quickly. And we ask that when it does happen, that the spread of your world will be vast and that the Spirit of God will make the Word of God live in the hearts and minds of people there. We pray for Gordon and his role in coordinating some of the work with those Sri Lankan missionaries. Bless him, give him much favor and help in that so that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in that part of the world. Lord, many of the things that we're, we're wanting to see happen there, we want to see happen in our own holiday Bible club in the coming week as well. We want the name of Jesus to be glorified here and amongst these streets and in the lives of the boys and girls who find themselves living here. Um, Lord, please help us as we try and do that. We pray that you'll keep us faithful to your gospel, that you'll keep us prayerful in the work that we do. We pray for connection with families and not just with boys and girls. And we ask that many might hear about Jesus and put their trust in him. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.